Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, that's day 13 in the books, folks, and our men's singles final is set. It will be Rafael Nadal going for an extraordinary 14th French Open title and Casper Ruud going for a first. It'll also be a first ever meeting between these two, a first ever Grand Slam final for Casper Ruud. There's going to be all sorts on the line. But that does not tell the story of today by any means, does it? Because it was a weird one in Paris today. And I think it all started with the weather, didn't it? The weather was Roland Garros's very own pathetic fallacy today. Mm. It was humid and strange and close and claustrophobic and ultimately a little bit disappointing. Yeah, I, actually, I think I blame the weather for most of it because <laughs> um, that's how it makes you feel. You know, it's it just puts you, it puts us on a bit of a downer, really, when you leave the the apartment. And I'd I'd seen the weather app, and it was a big sunshine with a bit of night cloud. When mm, we, David well, was making big promises about the weather today. Yeah, I, I specifically asked David what the weather's going to be. Glorious, <laughs> I think was the word. Glorious, <laughs> uh, except when I got to the site. It was starting to rain. There was a, a big black cloud over the Parc de France. And I thought, oh, that's just a passing shower. That, that won't last long. Um, and then it did last long. And then the roof was closed and it created the most humid and un, just uncomfortable day of weather, really, until about 7 o'clock. And encapsulated the entirety of the first semi-final, which was just weird from start to finish, really. Mm. And the second one was pretty weird in its own way as well. We'll obviously talk about both of them in detail. I mean, yeah, if it, it, at the risk of definitely using a sort of GCSE-level turn of phrase, a cloud hung over Roland Garros today, literally and metaphorically. See what you did there. Mm. Thank you very much. I liked it. <laughs> I, I I didn't really get it, but I liked it. Yeah. Nothing I, further to add. Something no, A level standard, maybe, Matt. Come and I on, feel help that's us. Be a theme of the podcast. I don't know how much I have to say about today. It was all just so weird. 
Great. Okay. Well, let's crack on. Let's uh, let's go in chronological order, shall we? Let's start with Rafael Nadal against Alexander Zverev. As you said, David, this started with the roof on, and we believe the rule is at Roland Garros that if it starts with the roof on, it finishes with the roof on, regardless of whether the weather clears up throughout. Did, did it clear or at up some, any stage? At it, all. it did. It yeah. stopped raining during the match. Yeah. I mean, do, what do you think of that rule? First of all, do you, do you think that that's right? That if you start in, under those conditions, you keep them? Because I kind of thought, I thought really at the end of the set where it stops raining, just open the plumbing roof. I suppose that you know when the when the match starts with the roof open. They don't, and, and and then it starts raining. Close the roof. They close the roof. Play the match. They don't. So they don't uh, wait for it to be the same conditions. Yeah. So I suppose the op- It's weird that mm. they don't do the opposite. It's weird that they sort of once the weather once the weather clears up, they don't open the roof. Like, you know, it's an outdoor tournament. I I think I would prefer that. Really. I, I'm guessing the justification they would use is they don't want to unnecessarily interrupt a match, mm. but. I mean, these roofs open and close pretty quickly these days, don't they? And as we'll come on to in due course, there were some pretty lengthy delays at the end of sets or at the end of the one, the one set that we one full set that we had in this match, anyway. Um, so it seemed like there was ample opportunity to open that roof. But anyway, it started with the roof closed and it abruptly ended with the roof closed, and as well. And goodness me, rarely have the conditions been so determinative of of a match i don't think maybe that sounds i mean conditions are always a prominent factor in a match but wow they were they were everything today for that match weren't they i mean rafael nadal explained explained it very very well after the match he said people think that heavy conditions favor clay quarters he said they do not he said the the humid conditions today don't favour traditional clay quarters that play with a lot of spin. He said they favour flat, big hitters. Alexander Zverev-style hitters, David. Yeah, I, I can believe that because if I think back to the early 90s when they played the Hamburg tournament, which was always very heavy and often wet, Andre Medvedev used to just clean up because he could hit through the, the conditions. And... Uh, you know, he he might play a Felix Mantilla or someone like that who's rolling with topspin, and he would just bulldoze these people. Um, so I, I, I can believe that. I mean, I had John Millman, Roger Federer, US Open vibes with how sweaty it all was. I mean, watching Zverev hit a ball and his racket just completely come out of his hand because he couldn't hold onto the grip. Nadal changed his clothes at the end of the first set, which admittedly was an hour and a half long set. And when he came out, because he, he was fresh again, he was a different player for about three games. And then he got sopping wet again and, mm. he, and his game went off again. Turns out after sort of 20 years of Rafael Nadal, we've learned something new about him, which is, is he doesn't like playing in sopping wet pants. <laughs> no. And nor would any of us. <laughs> he was having to asked the ball kids to give him the ball because he couldn't fit a ball in his pocket, you know, for his second serve. If he missed the first serve, he was having to request the ball. He physically couldn't get the ball in his pocket because, because his were shorts so... were so soaked and tight to his, his skin. Oof. It was awful. I mean, it's, they're a tight short anyway, aren't they? Mm. And... 
yeah, there, there, there's no there's no room for any there are certain additional factors raffer that you could have worn yes that have had been nice and airy <laughs> not those um yeah it was just i mean it was very strange seeing rafael nadal in those conditions i'm sure over the course of his career we've seen him play in conditions like that on clay but i when it happened i probably wasn't in the stadium to see it that i'd never seen anything like that well we haven't had indoors from very nadal much. with my own eyes before he was putting everything that he had into the ball and everything that nadal has is is a lot you know he's one of the fierce most fearsome hitters the sport has ever seen Zverev himself on the eve of the tournament described the way nadal hits the ball here at roland garros as you know being something that struck awe into him quite frankly and he's putting all of that into the ball and it's it's giving him nothing in return it's yeah it's like it the ball just absorbs it and it goes nowhere there's no productivity mm. to the to the effort and it it made me feel exhausted to watch it to see that much effort going in for so little reward completely and it's remarkable how little it seems to affect his mood on the court I mean he was clearly annoyed by the conditions today well not annoyed but he did, know, he did a was, sign at one point which I assume is was the balls how big again, the ball is. again he huge. mentioned that impressive the yeah. balls were so big yeah <laughs> fluffing up I suppose yeah. aren't they in, that, in those conditions and yet he does have an ability to just accept it and and play the match and yeah there were little moments of frustration but generally he just he just got on with it and he had to because the first six games Zverev was playing as well as Alexander Zverev can play mm. smashing the ball dominating the rallies total confidence wasn't there in mm. his in his conviction in the ball strike getting his... all well not all but most of his first serves in it was a it was the Alexander Zverev complete performance for six games and Nadal had to weather it and stick with him and that was difficult because the conditions were favouring Zverev so much and yet of course Nadal did and just gradually worked his way back into that opening set and as soon as it as soon as it got tight and as soon as he did manage to put Zverev under pressure Zverev did start to miss and start to miss the first serve and double fault a bit and crack generally um, but it was very, very tough for Nadal from the start. You know, it wasn't like Nadal made a good start and the conditions slowly took their toll on him. It was a, it was a struggle immediately. Like first game, he got broken, didn't he? Mm. And you just, you just knew this was, this was going to be a very, very tough day for Nadal. He said, "My ball was not bouncing as usual here. I wasn't able to push him back. He was always on the front foot." He said, "I had a lot of surviving moments today." And we'll come on to the the second set, obviously, shortly. But even the the first set felt like an active survival for Rafael Nadal in in many ways. For the first six games, as you say, because of how brilliant Alexander Zverev was. But even then, when when Zverev dropped off, you still felt like Nadal was relying on the errors yeah. from Zverev, which is a, which is a precarious place for Nadal to be. He doesn't, he doesn't want to be leaving it in the hands of whoever's down the other end of the court, he wants to be in charge of his own destiny. And it, it didn't feel for large parts of that match that he was until the moment came and he took it into his own hands. But that wasn't until the 
the very pointy, sharpest end of, of the set in well, the tie break. 6-2, he was behind. Uh, four consecutive set points. And I don't, know, I don't know what percentage I'd give that Nadal taking it and Zverev handing it. Um, but it's some of both. I, 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 I think that's inevitable, really, when you are when you have a serve like Zverev's, because really one of the two points that he has on his serve there, he should be hitting an unreturnable serve. And he missed a pretty simple volley on one of the set points, Zverev. He, he had landed a big first serve and he had, he had the volley and he just hit it into the net. But then Nadal saved them, I would say, from that point. And in particular, the one... <laughs> He was pushed out wide on the backhand side. He stretched for it. He was off. He was off the court. He was practically in the flower beds at the side of the Philippe Chatre court. Zverev hit a cross court backhand, and Nadal scrambled across and whipped a forehand winner cross court. Acute angle. The place erupted, and okay, he then had a lot of work to do after after that to win the set. But that was the moment. That was when you thought, "That's Nadal." That that. that that's the sort of thing great players do when they need to, you know, and and he just did. It was sort of believably unbelievable from him. And then he found another incredible forehand on on set point of his own up the line. And he, yeah, he, he wrenched that tie breaks from, from Zverev after Zverev had missed that, that forehand. It, it was spine tingling and pulsating to watch Nadal do that. And then he goes off for what David Law described as a spa break. <laughs> he did disappear for a long time, it felt like. And he came back out and he looked he was he was nice and cool and he was sort of his hair was slicked again and, <laughs> and he was all organized and he got his nice new shirt and he looked like looked like he'd just popped off for the weekend and come back and was ready ready to start the working week again. Um and he was hitting the ball with such authority because he broke immediately in the first game of the second set. And he went up in the second game as well. And you're just thinking, I mean, Zverev's just had to swallow this this set that he should have won, really. He should have won that first set on on so many levels. It's it's really the greatness of, of one of the all-time champions that has stopped him doing that and and the disappointment he had to stomach as a result of that must have been enormous and you could see it in his body language he, he went he dropped for a, a little bit and Nadal suddenly was hitting the ball with such purity and and the authority that he'd shown against Djokovic the other day so I couldn't believe it when he ended up losing his serve in the second game because he was up and then they were just handing their serves to one another could, for five games in a row. Could you believe it when he, he lost his serve in the fourth game, in the sixth game, in the eighth game? It was that the second set of that match, not just because of how it ended, which we'll be coming on to very soon, but let's do the events leading up to that first. It was one of the weirdest sets of tennis I've I've ever seen, given the personnel involved. I mean, it was utterly compelling, but desperately low quality. Nadal in the main. Nadal went an hour and 40 minutes without holding serve in that match. <laughs> Nadal on clay. <laughs> it was... I don't think anyone could really believe what they were watching. I don't think it's anyone like, was having it's fun. It's like Korda Hatchinov at Wimbledon when they did 13 in the final sets, 13 service breaks. Yeah, you know that the, um, the deciding... The, the full set tie break that Alcaraz played against Zverev, which obviously he ended up 
losing. But, you know, he's two sets to one down in the score. He ends up losing the match in that tie break. He looked like he was enjoying it because it was just so high quality and dramatic. And, you know, it was a wonderful stage and everything. It couldn't have been more different to that today. Everybody was having a horrible time. Including everybody watching. And, I mean, look, there may be some some tennis fans that were in that stadium that are having the time of their lives. And and if you've come for the French Open semis and you've seen Nadal and all the rest of it, I'm sure I'm sure they were. I'm exaggerating, but I've loved every minute of the French Open that I've been here for the last two weeks. <laughs> even even on Tuesday when I started to get long COVID symptoms again during a blooming Nadal Djokovic match, I got through it, folks. Don't worry. But I ate a lot that day. Uh, but anyway, today for several hours. I mean, I was I was doing updates into our five live news desks and so you're in a windowless I mean this is the worst case scenario in a way in a way because I'm in a windowless little booth looking at a screen for for three hours for for less than two sets and and I was nearly nodding off at times watching trying to watch the match but just feeling this fatigue coming over me and I think I looked around and everybody was feeling like that and I went out for some fresh air there was no fresh air there was just low cloud and humidity and you got you look at you look at Nadal and you look at Zverev, they look miserable. The umpire looked miserable. It was just oh. <laughs> and you're looking at the clock, going, it's more than three hours here, and we haven't even played two sets of tennis. Everyone was doing the projections of how long that match could possibly go. I mean, Pam said if it had gone five sets, it was tracking for seven hours. Now, obviously, you know the the fates intervened and. It ended a very different, horrible way. Um, but it going seven hours and five sets would also have been extremely horrible. That, that could it? have ended five-set tennis because yeah. it was the sort of five-set match. I mean, I love five-set tennis and I was not enjoying that. Mm. I, didn't enjoy, I, I wasn't thinking, oh, I hope this goes five sets, you know, and is a classic. Because it wasn't a classic. It was in, there were interesting moments and... Uh, and that sort of thing. But, I mean, it just wasn't one of those tennis matches. There was such a bizarre moment. I think at um, five, uh, Nadal serving 4-5, when he finally holds serve. Was that, is, am I describing the right scoreline, Matt? He's serving 4-5, finally holds serve for the first time in the set. And he celebrates like players do when they're six love, five love down and they win their first game of the match. It was so completely bizarre. He did one of those ironic, way, do me some pity cheers. <laughs> Celebrations, so completely bizarre. And then, of course, they both hold again. Nadal holds at five, five, six. He's got the 40-30 point. He takes it, but at, at the very end of that point, Alexander Zverev is on the stretch on the forehand side and he goes over on his right ankle extremely heavily. It's We've seen a couple of turns turns of the ankle this tournament, haven't we? We've seen Karolina Mukova go over. She was able to to continue. Well, able to. She probably shouldn't have, but she did continue for, for a set and a bit. She's now got a... Her foot, in a, uh, her foot in a boot we've seen uh, on social media. But this was the most horrible I've seen for a while it, he immediately screamed out in pain and you know from from moments after it was clear the match was over Rafa was straight over the other side of the court wasn't he the um the officials and the the medics were very quick to to get onto the court a wheelchair was being was being placed on court but you know 
before you even knew it. And yes, he goes off court for assessment and there's sort of a, a murmur reverberating around the stadium, people wondering what's going on. But but really, we all knew yeah, what was I mean, going it on. Was, it was one of the most sickening ones I've seen. I, I remember Andrea Pekovic having one. I've seen Andrei Chesnikov have one, Michael Stick. And, and they're the sort of, you don't want to watch the replay of this. It's it's just it's quite upsetting to me uh, to to see it because um, I think we've all had ankle turns at various times. I, I had one last summer where I put a foot while I was running for a ball with my son. I put my foot in a hole that I didn't see and, and went over on it, and I nearly blacked out because of the shock. And uh, and that's the reaction he had. I felt was it's just shock and. I mean, there's fear and devastation in the moment because obviously he's trying to win a Grand Slam title and he's right in there, he's right in there. And suddenly the whole thing's over and you're scared and you're, and you're, you're upset. And, um, and it was, yeah, it was very, very distressing. Um, and you all end up looking, I think everybody in the crowd ends up just sort of looking at each other because there's nothing else to say. The, the bloke's gone off court in a wheelchair he came back on, on on crutches, shook hands with the umpire and gave Nadal a hug and he was waved off. But I mean, uh, I spoke, speaking to um, Greg Rosetsky, who we were commentating with afterwards and we were talking about when he turned his ankle in 98 at, at Queen's and, and he tried to play Wimbledon and he, he, got, he played half a match and then had to withdraw. And he said, at that point, I was at my peak and that was my best ever chance, really. And I couldn't, ta- I couldn't accept it. I couldn't accept that I was out and that uh, I can't play. Um, and and it, it, he said I had a, a lot of trouble with my mental health around that time because I, was, I really thought this was, the, this was the, my time. And so, you know, I would imagine Zverev probably... I mean, uh, he has enormous self-confidence. He thinks he's going he's, he's to do more, I'm sure, in the future. But, I mean, and this was a way worse ankle turn, I think, than what Greg had. And Greg's, Greg reckons he'll, he'll be out for six weeks minimum obviously none of us are doctors but I mean he's going to miss Wimbledon you know there's no way you're going to play Wimbledon with that ankle and who knows whether he'll be back for the US Open I mean it looked horrible need to get on to Taylor Fritz's yes yeah surgeon surgeon what body part was that that was it a knee yes I believe so do surgeons tend to do multiple don't know. Knee and ankle specialist. Pro- probably above our grade here, aren't we, <laughs> in terms of expertise. We're in medical corner, folks, um, <laughs> which isn't where we want to be. But I'm not sure where we do want to be today because it's all... It's all I keep looking at Matt thinking, you've got anything to say? And Matt sort of well, is avoiding eye contact <laughs> because there's... there's it's just, it, it, nobody wanted that match to end that way. I mean, we think we did want it to end. <laughs> Yes. Sooner than it was on track to, but obviously not not that way. Desperately not that way. It was it was horrible, absolutely horrible scenes. It was horrible for the crowd. It was obviously horrible for Zverev. Horrible for Nadal, who of course dealt with it so elegantly, exactly as you'd expect. He, you know, it was such genuine concern and sportsmanship from Rafael Nadal, which is no surprise whatsoever. Um, but it was just, it was all so awkward and weird and horrible. Well, you, you said to me, Catherine, while we were having dinner, something which I hadn't thought about, whether, the, whether there would be any kind of impact on Nadal in the final because of the way this match finished. Just the fact that he didn't get 
the usual moment. He didn't he didn't go through by winning the match. You know, just would it affect him at all going into the final? And my immediate reaction was no, I don't think so. You know, it's it's Nadal. He's through whatever. Maybe more fuel in the tank, even. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, because minimum that was looking like four and a half, five hours, even if he'd won it, it, it in straight sets. It was three hours thirteen for less than two sets. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen a, a no. match like we've we've seen over four hours in a three setter, but for two sets. Back to back like yeah. that, I can't remember one. I like believe that. there's never been a straight sets match at a slam three out of five that's over four hours. There's been best of three sets which have gone over four hours, but never a straight sets uh, three three set match. So it was very much on track for that. Anyway, but it but it, I was thinking about this and I was listening to John Wertheim on Tennis Channel this evening, and he made the point that. Yes, okay, there was there was the fact that it got cut short, if you can call it short, um, so it might help him from a physical standpoint. But Nadal has had a very emotional Roland Garros. If you look at the players he's had to play, there was the whole Tony Nadal situation in round four against Oji Aliassime. Okay, maybe it was least impactful for Nadal, but still there was there was a situation there and it was an emotional match. Djokovic, that carries a lot of weight and you know there's his, so much history on the line when they play this was an emotional finish today and the final will be because it's it's a Roland Garros final he's going for something completely extraordinary so he's, he's sort of taking on a lot here Nadal and just emotion wise and I I think he will be fine I think he will handle all that but it's it's an extra element that I think is at play here for Nadal this tournament and there's also the emotion I, I asked him a about this in in press after mm. his his last victory there's the emotion of what he keeps telling us about of knowing feeling telling everybody that every match he plays could be his last at Roland Garros mm. and of his career and I asked him you know whether that emotional burden has any kind of toll and he's pretty much said yes didn't he he said you know it, it is what it is in classic Rafael Nadal style but of course it does. You know that's that's an in, in, incredible weight emotionally to be to be carrying on his shoulders. So we'll talk about Kasparud obviously in due course. But regardless of all of it, he'll go into the into the final as a heavy favourite, I think. But it's not insignificant. And how about his answer in the Spanish portion of the press conference when he was asked? Obviously, it's his birthday today, and he was asked whether. What if a genie with a lamp came along for your birthday and offered you winning the final on Sunday but keeping your foot as it is <laughs> or losing the final and getting a new foot? And I, I thought Nadal wouldn't engage with this no, question. he doesn't I thought, like hypotheticals, no. does he, like that? He's straight as an arrow. And um, he was straight in there that he would choose losing the final and getting a new yeah. foot Get without rid of this a doubt. Foot. Well, he'd probably go and win another 10 Roland Garros. Yeah. I suppose that's, you know, and he, but he was really putting it in terms of life. Yeah. He said it's, the foot is painful. It must be so, it must be miserable. And you, you think of what Andy Murray was like. Mm. When when you interviewed him after that match against Bautistraga and he could, he was sort of pulling himself onto a stool mm. to, to sit down and he, he couldn't really move about properly and everything was hurting. He couldn't put his socks on, all these sort of things. And then when he got the, the resurfacing done, suddenly 
the pain had gone and his mood lightened. I, mm. I mean, I, 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 I get it from Nadal. And, and when we talk about the emotion, can you imagine next week, regardless, win or lose now, he'll be in bits for days, you would have thought. Just how much he's going to have to just kind of get himself over this line. How much is that going to take from him? Probably a heck of a lot. Mm. It was reported in Marca, the Spanish newspaper today, that Rafael Nadal has already decided he won't be playing Wimbledon. He'll be taking several weeks off after this after this clay court season, at the very least. Now, we've been in all Nadal's press conferences. We've trawled his transcript. Matt's been in his Spanish press conferences. We can't find anywhere where he said that. He's certainly not quoted directly in that piece as saying it. There were lots of people going after that story today, Benito Rafa's PR guy is denying it completely. That doesn't mean it's not true, but it's certainly not the case that anybody has directly said that. I, I, personally, at this stage, I would be surprised if he plays Wimbledon. Yeah, same. But it, I don't think it's the case that that is out there and that that is that is fact at this stage. But can we have some credit for Matt for knowing the word genie? in Spanish I, because I, I consider myself a linguist in French and do you know, I, I still do not know the word for genie. I genuinely don't know if I do know the word for genie. I just heard the guy say something that I thought was genie and then lampara, which is lamp. So I got the impression he was talking about a genie. Well, so lamp, you, at that point you're thinking, why else would they be talking about lamps? <laughs> exactly. And he was offering him a hypothetical. It all led me to genie. <laughs> oh, I like lampara. <laughs> Yeah, we've sense. all we've all learned something here today. Look, he said he was he said he was physically absolutely fine. He said the conditions were horrible and it was exhausting for him, but physically he's fine. And you know, that's Rafael Nadal fine, which is obviously absolutely excruciating pain. <laughs> but <laughs> normal people not getting out <laughs> exactly. of bed pain sort of thing. Um but at least that's good good to hear and you know, it, it he's had some long matches. He's had some grueling matches. He absolutely would not have wanted this match to end the way it did, but taking away the circumstance of it, the, just the fact that it was shorter than it would have been is to Nadal's benefit without question. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Just and, make, and, and also, make sure he's got dry shorts for Sunday. <laughs> and also, I mean, that, that match was right in the balance. Oh, yeah. You know, Zverev was, was hurting him. From the baseline, he he. The conditions were perfect for him to hit through Nadal. It, it was in Zverev's hands, wasn't it? He yeah. was making a lot of errors. As I say, it was low quality, but he was the playmaker. You felt like it was it and was on Zverev's you racket. It, you said it at the start, Catherine. Nadal's big shots just weren't really infiltrating Zverev's defense. Mm. Whereas normally, I mean, look, I think I still think it's quite a good matchup for for Zverev generally. I think he he, he does move well in that side to side kind of way, and he can slide and he can get him back, and then he and then he's so good with the turn and back and on the stretch, all these things. But normally, Nadal's got a got a way to hurt you, no matter who you are. In those conditions, it was really tough. There was only really that spurt at the end of the first set tiebreak, and also start of the second set when he was suddenly fresh again. But um, a miserable day for Nadal, really, to just manage and get through. He said it himself. I was surviving. Yeah. I was surviving. I had a lot of surviving moments. <laughs> but the fact, was, the fact, He called it a miracle yeah. that he won the first set. To, to me, I mean, look, he's through his big challenge now. 
Mm. Now, he, he, may, he may not pull up fully fit or something on Sunday. For all, anything can still happen, but in terms of matchups, I think he's seen off the big danger now. The weather forecast, interestingly, on Sunday is supposed to be similar to today. Now, obviously, that will probably turn on its head because we were all forecasting that today would be, you know, a day of absolute splendour. Oh, and it that, was, anyway. <laughs> that didn't pan out, but... It's not forecast to be great on Sunday. Could be another roof closed situation for the sake of all of our well-being. <laughs> we hope not. Um, but he'll obviously, he'll be playing Casper Ruud in Sunday's final, who I, th- who I would think would feel similarly displeased about those sorts of conditions and having the roof closed. So I guess it's a net, it's a net neutral. Whereas, you know, for, for, for Nadal today against Zverev and his his flatter, big hitting, it was uh, a net negative for Nadal. Let's talk about Kasper Ruud against Marin Cilic. David, you, you commentated on this one alongside Greg Rosetsky. Four sets for Kasper Ruud. Tell us about it. Well, first set, Ruud looked like a rabbit in headlights. He was really startled. He was unsure of himself his backhand was an utter liability you could have targeted that backhand and and this is one thing I do think with the Nadal forehand that ain't Zverev's backhand you know that is not going to handle Nadal's game very well (laughs) I don't think at all now look he may be able to play it into form just by using it a lot and as the sets went on sets three four two three and four he he was hitting winners with the backhand. He was hitting it, but he, hitting it a lot down the line. For he was winners. catching Chelich out there. He, wasn't he, he was, and 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 look, he committed to it, and he was using it offensively. But he was being picked on in that first set, and Chelich was playing the sort of stuff we've been watching. He was he was glorious, um, but it turned, and I think a, a lot of the reason it turned was Rude coming out with a different attitude in set two. He came out to take it from Chilich. In the first set, he was just an opponent. He was just a, he was getting bossed, and and he looked he looked flat. And it, you kind of think, well, he can't be flat in a Grand Slam semi final, but he, he just wasn't doing anything. He was just existing as a tennis player. And then suddenly, set two, three, four, you you were reminded that this guy's got a bit of spite as a tennis player. He can hurt you if he goes for it, but he has to go for it. And um, and I mean, look. He's going to have to go for it against Nadal, and I I just don't think that back... He is a very one-sided player. That forehand is great. The backhand is weak. Relatively speaking, it is weak. How how much of a part did Marin Cilic have to play in his own downfall today? Obviously, as you say, very strong in that opening set. Seemed to fade to me in a way that I... I wasn't expecting well, for, if, a man, for a man with the body of a 25-year-old. Yeah, I mean, look, he did fade physically to some degree, but I mean... He had one of the worst overhead smash days I've ever seen from a tennis player. For so, how does somebody with a serve that good smash like it's that? It's extraordinary. I, I, and I'm not, I can't really, rec- you know, I think of when Marin Cilic gets tight, the forehand starts shanking and, and the serve twitches start and things like that. I haven't really thought of the smashes. Now, somebody may say, well, you haven't watched enough matches. I, I can't recall in all the time I've watched Cilic him have a bad overhead smash day. But I counted seven smashes, six misses Ooh. out of seven. Literally missing them. He, he missed two in a game uh, uh, fairly early on. And I think that that immediately put doubts in his mind. He missed one bounce smash where the ball just about cleared the net. 
from his opponent and he gets himself into the tram lines to run around it he just smashed it into the net and then, and then there, were, there was another one we, we got to the point in commentary where Rude would lift a lob and I'd say uh oh <laughs> you know the ball's in the air Marin Cilic is underneath it oh no he's not he smashed it long and, and it was like that you just you knew what was coming and I felt terribly sorry for him because he couldn't he couldn't figure out how to get around this it, it's it's a it's a double negative isn't it missing a smash because it's obviously terrible for you and wounding of your own confidence but also such a boon to your opponent it's basically showing them your emotional hand isn't it which is that this I'm I'm feeling it a bit you know this yeah, this so, shot yeah. that I would make him in my sleep on the practice court. There's a pride I'm element missing. as well. Tennis players don't think they. Th- Tim Hemmer used to say, if the ball's in the air, the point should be over. And uh, Dan Evans has got a good smash, and I know that he missed. He, he missed the one against Stan Wawrinka, and he was match point up, or he didn't put it away. And he he still talks about that. These players, they they have a pride. They think that they should be able to put away a smash any time it's there. You missed one the other day, Matt, didn't you? Yeah, got told off by my partner. <laughs> I've got a terrible overhead smash. Really, it's embarrassing. I'm six foot seven, and I can't. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I'm Marin Chilich, like like rubbish version. <laughs> well, Matt got told to leave one yesterday, and uh, he, he went for it and uh, missed. And I took which it anyway. Is just disaster scenario. Yeah, just call it. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what he said? Sheepishly moved to the other side of the court. Okay. Didn't take another smash all day. <laughs> um, just, just on on the match and and how it turned, I also felt like in the in the closing stages, Rude had a physical edge. Like I, I really felt yeah. like Chilich had, had kind of he gone. Looked, he looked thirty three at the end. Yeah, so and, Rude saying I've. I've actually got the body of yeah. 25-year-old. Well, that's the thing. And Kasper you know, that he became the player that we've become accustomed to as the match wore on at the start. You're thinking, I'm sure I used to say you were good. And, and- this, <laughs> this is rubbish. I was really critical. Um, and, and I feel sorry for him because, you know, he was, I think he was just tight. I think he's just incredibly mm. tight. And what an occasion for him. I think he's a really nice lad, Kasper He seems like a really good, mm. good bloke. Um, and he and he's a great pro, um, but at the end, Marin Cilic looked like he'd been playing in the Nadal's Zverev conditions. He was so sweaty, he looked so knackered, and yet you looked up. There's no roof on, and it's beautiful blue sky. Mm. It, it just all went wrong for him today. I think maybe he just hit the wall as well. There was one phenomenal game that Rude played when he was serving out the second set because he fell love 40 down yeah that was amazing and, and that was a moment where I thought oh okay Rude's worked his way back into this match but this is where we see whether he's kind of ready to win it and he feel, falls love 40 down and I'm thinking oh dear okay maybe he's not ready and, he, and he, he kind of ranted towards his dad and his dad just gave a motion of calm down <laughs> and, and then he played five perfect points I, yeah. I, I mean I, I wrote down forehand winner Unreturned serve, forehand winner, ace, backhand down the line winner. I mean, it was just perfection. And suddenly, from that point on, he was he was in total control of the match. It was a it was a really key moment, I think, in this contest. There was also a, an exceptionally weird turn of events where um, a protester made their way onto court, a climate change protester, and I I, th- I think reports are that they the the young woman glued herself 
to the net. It was certainly a, a situation serious enough that the players were removed removed from the court and TV cameras cut away, obviously. Also put a, a wire around her neck and, mm. and clamped herself to the, to the, the right. net as well. Mm. Um, and obviously that was a situation, a couple of angles on this. Just firstly, the tennis one, I, I guess because of the inexperience of Casper Ruud, I expected that upset to cause him upset. Um, it's, and especially given the fact that that would have been an opportunity for them to speak to their coaches. Any kind of interruption in play like that, you know, you get to go back to the locker room and speak to your coaches. I I thought that would be a boost to Marin Cilic. And I was really impressed that Kasper Ruud didn't let that rock him. Yeah, he, he seems quite a good compartmentalizer you know because as you say they went off and it was almost like the start of the match again because they had to go through a whole knock-up they've swept the court all that sort of stuff and then there was yeah there was there was it was an unsettling 20 minutes because of the way she came onto the court and nobody would go near her all the security guards nobody was going near her so you're wondering well why are they not going anywhere near her and why are the players being taken off to the corners of the court and everybody's looking at each other nobody knows what's going to happen and and so, yeah, from a player's perspective, I think you do have a job on your hands to gather yourself when you come back out. And, and he did do an excellent job. It was a bit worrying, wasn't it? How how easily it seemed that she was able to make her way yeah, I mean, that's, onto the court. That's problematic. And my mind immediately went back to the 2009 final here when Roger Federer was playing and somebody came out, I think had a Spanish flag and put it on top of his head while he's on the court, you know, in the middle of the final. And I know from Queens how difficult it is to stop people getting on the court if they want to get on. If they're near the front row, it's very, very difficult. So I do have some sympathy, but that did seem quite easy to do for her. And and I'm sure they'll have to have a very close look at that in the Mm. future, you know. Not a great week for Amelie Moresmo, is it? Well, I feel for her because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I think as, as um, Hannah said, it's a bapti- it's kind mm. of a baptism of fire. And these are the things with tournaments. I- I've had several of these sorts of things that bomb scares. David, 12, 10 years ago since David Nalbandian boots a I mean, line oh, judge up in the air. celebrate that anniversary, oh, David. <laughs> you know, that, that was a Marin Cilic <laughs> final. Sitting there, Marin Cilic against David Nalbandian. Half the press have gone to to Eastbourne or Birmingham because nobody's interested in the final and we're thinking oh we're going to have a nice quiet finals day and suddenly oh my god he's just gone and kicked the line judge in the air and suddenly everybody's out onto the court you know you never know as a tournament organiser what's coming next and it's, it isn't easy it's re- so I always try to think mm. I don't want to be that journalist that just whinges about the organisation all the time because I really know what it's like and it's not easy but uh, yeah, they will need to. When you when these things happen, you just have to go and be honest. Oh crikey, we didn't quite get that one right. We've got to go and have a look mm. at it and and work out how to make things tighter next time. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. 
That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. We'll have a bit of opportunity tomorrow to, to preview the men's finals. There's no need to deep dive on it now. Nadal against Rude, first time... They've played one another, which is interesting in itself, Very, isn't it? They yeah. they should have played before Especially now. That's the, one of those quirky great draw play things. quarters, and yeah. Ruth's been around for three years, and and they've got the whole Rafael Nadal Academy link, mm. haven't they? Is that a problem for Casper Ruud, though? The fact that it's his hero and sort of his professor, you know, having been at his. Academy. I don't know what the official name for that link is. You know, obviously it wasn't Nadal himself that was coaching him, but I don't know. It's it, it, it's it, a nice line in a story, but is it a nice thing for the final? It's one of several problems Casper has got, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Maybe not even the biggest one. De- definitely What's not the, the biggest, biggest one. one? Nadal. Nadal. <laughs> <laughs> the bloke has won 13 of them. Yeah. Okay. Let's but I mean let's let, leave the preview there, shall yeah, we? Let's but, leave those appetites wetted. Twenty four hours final. to work out a way that Casper Rude can win it. <laughs> but can I mean I, it is it is a big moment for him. It's a big deal, I'm sure, in Norway that he's got to this final. I was you know, we we always make our pre tournament predictions. I was looking for a way not to have Casper Rude in the quarterfinals because I was not convinced by him this clay court season. I know he won Geneva, but, you know, it was a much weaker draw and I just didn't see anyone who would beat him before the quarterfinals, but I was not confident that he would get that far. And for him to do this, I, th- I really do think it's it's an impressive run for him. And, mm. you know, Casper Grand Slam finalist, I know he's been in- improving on clay, but I, I didn't think that was on the cards this soon into his career. I feel like, I feel like Nick Kyrgios is probably deleting some tweets. <laughs> As we speak. <laughs> What's all Garoon doing? 
doing some tweets. Yeah. Yeah. Hulk Haroon and Nick Kyrgios are like tag teaming each other in. Oh, goodness. There was more today, wasn't there? Eurosport did an interview with Casper uh, Rude in which he, as, as exactly as reported last night in that piece that I read out, was denying the events that Holger Rune says happened in the locker room. Uh, after their quarterfinal, uh, Eurosport tweeted the video uh, with a transcription of a few of the quotes, and Holger Rune just replied, "I roll emoji." <laughs> again, it's just it's just right in the sweet spot. It's uh, it's all absolutely brilliant. Um, okay, so more men's final preview tomorrow. Uh, we'll have a. We did a lot of uh, chat about Shvantec against Goff yesterday with with Pam as well, of course. But we'll we'll have another word on that in a moment. But just going to whiz you through a few other things that happened today the double is still on Coco Goff and Jessica Pagula won their semi-final today against Madison Keys and Taylor Townsend they won in two straight sets good match this one but uh, Goff and Pagula coming out on top they will meet the all French pairing of Kiki Mladenovic and Caroline Garcia they're Ooh. back together and they're rolling Wait, that's on Sunday is it Yes, yes, it's it is. on Sunday. Ooh. They beat uh, Kitchenock and Ostapenko today in three sets. Oh, I want to watch that. Um, and I saw an interview with them afterwards. I was interested when I saw that they were back together as a pairing, whether this was a very sort of functional, almost mercenary decision to get back together. Okay, you know, you know, we're not friends anymore, but we're still a great doubles team. Let's get the band back together. Um, but I watched a video with them on on Prime Video France, uh, a, 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 an interview with them on Prime Video France, and they seemed very, very friendly to one another. It was nice to see. Good. So hatchets, hatchets buried. I'm glad. Seemingly, anyway. Um, the top seeds: twenty-two-year-old uh, Sam Schroeder and nineteen-year-old Niels Vink, the uh, the Dutch pairing, won the men's quad wheelchair doubles title. They beat Imanitu Silva. Uh, of Brazil and Heath Davidson of Australia in two straight sets. This is Schroeder's second French Open doubles title, his first with Niels Vink. Uh, you might you might remember the name Sam Schroeder. He was the guy that ended the career of Dylan Alcott at the Australian Open yeah. earlier on this year in uh, in the singles quad wheelchair. He's he's such a talent for the future and well for now, but. Uh, I think Dylan Alcott felt very philosophical about Sam Schroeder being the one to end his career because he's he's very much the future um, of mm. wheelchair tennis. And his partner, Niels Vink, even younger, 19 years old, Vink went to the London Paralympics aged nine and instantly decided that para sport was what he wanted to do. He says he tried a few sports before tennis, but as soon as he tried tennis, he knew it was the one. And I learnt that information from his own website, which is called kneelsonwheels.com. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's mm. good. Mm. I enjoyed my visit to kneelsonwheels.com. <laughs> it was excellent. Um, it's their second Grand Slam doubles title. They won uh, the US Open last year. Uh, the mixed doubles title yesterday, we should have mentioned this yesterday, but Stuff was happening. Uh, the mixed doubles title yesterday was won by the scratch pairing Ebi Shibahara of Japan and Wesley Kulhoff of the Netherlands. They beat Ulrika A. Kerry of Norway, or E. Kerry. I think E. Kerry. I think um, Kasper Rude wished her luck. That was a lovely moment, wasn't yeah. it? After he'd got to the 
semi-final after he'd beaten Runa in the aggro match. Um, That's what it's going to be known as forever yes. now. He he shouted her out yeah. and said that you know she's she's gone one further than me already, and it's it's a great tournament for Norway. And then I believe he was on on the court watching the final as well. Mm, it, that's lovely. It didn't work. They did lose. Uh, she and uh, Joran Vliegen to Shibahara and Wesley Kulhoff. Seven six six two. The partnership between Shibahara and Kulhoff started with an Instagram DM from Kulhoff to Shibahara. They had never like met all before. Great partnerships. They had obviously crossed in corridors and everything, but they had never met before playing this tournament. And he says that uh, Ebby took a while to respond. <laughs> got there in the end. Um, people don't call each other anymore, do they? No. Oh, God, no. It's a real problem for, for <laughs> look films. Look at Matt's face. I don't, I don't want to call anyone. Yeah, Matt Bailey wants to talk to people, David. He definitely doesn't want to do <laughs> it on the phone. This, why would I, why would I, I call hate it anyone? when my phone rings. Mm, I do too, I've actually. I've noticed that when I call you. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like a really aggressive move to call someone, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. I'm from the day when you Voice used to... notes, David. Voice notes, lovely. Now. Love you know, a voice you like note. My, you like my voice notes, don't you? I mean, I see I'm from the day when you, you know you'd put your finger in the dial and go <laughs> You're exaggerating, David. You're not that old. No, we did. We used to have one of those phones when I was a little lad. A little lad. Mm. And and then when I found <laughs> out that there were phones with buttons on, it, I was so pumped. <laughs> I didn't know that because like, they've got those in America on the on Dallas, you know, on the telly. <laughs> and, and we, it's a lot of references that Matt can't respond to. <laughs> Is it rude if someone rings you to not answer and to text them back and say, "Oh, no, I do it all the time to some of my closest friends." Matt. Okay, yeah. fine, thanks. I'm 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 glad I'm not alone in this. Yeah, you want to speak you, on your time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Sure, I'm, tell I'm glad I, I'm not alone. I'll tell you what I find rude is when I go around to visit someone and the phone goes and they say, I've just got to go and get this. And I'm like, okay. And they go and get it and they spend 20 minutes on the phone. I'm thinking, but I'm actually here. <laughs> Why is, <laughs> if I'd have called, I'd have got more time. Who's, who's doing <laughs> that? Someone I know. I can't say my mum. <laughs> it's your mum, isn't it? It's, it's your mum. It's totally your mum. It was, it was Hello, such... Hello, David's mum. It was such a weird day today. David's ended up slacking. David's dragging mom. his mum. Stop doing that, mum. Tomorrow is going to be a brighter day, folks. This is what we've got to look forward to. From 11am, the Women's Wheelchair Singles Final. It's the top two seeds. Dida de Hutt against Yui Kamiji. Great for them to have Chatrier billing tomorrow. And then it's the women's singles final, 3pm for Iga Svantec against Coco Goff. Then we have the men's doubles final, Ivan Dodic and Dodig rather and Austin Krychek against Marcelo Aravalo. And uh, of, uh, I think he's from El Salvador, isn't he? Yes, mm-hmm. he's from El Salvador. And Jean-Julien Roger. Um, from the Netherlands, of being Andy Murray's best man fame. Hmm. That's the men's doubles final. Um, are we desperate enough to talk about Legends matches? No, we're not, are we? Who's in it? Oh, goodness me, there seems to be a lot of them. The women's Legends final is tomorrow. I'll give you that one. And it's Gisela Dulco and Gabriella Sabatini against Flavia Panetta and Francesca Schiavone. Oh, that sounds quite good. 
Well, David, it's yeah. uh, it's last on Longland tomorrow, so you can watch oh. it from your favourite seats if you fancy. I will. And they do get good crowds over there. I am going. For the legends. Off you go I then, David. The, uh, the girls' singles final is uh, the unseeded S Sierra, Solana Sierra, uh, against the ninth seed, another young Czech, Lucy Havlikova. And the boys' singles final tomorrow is the unseeded Gilles Arnaud Bailly of Belgium against the 14th seeded Frenchman, French boy, hmm, Gabriel De Bru. <laughs> so that's what's happening tomorrow. Uh, let's 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 stop talking about today, shall we? Let's let's give everyone a break. Brief prediction for Schwantek against Goff, please. Well, it's the final I've predicted, you see, so I'm not really sure. <laughs> Great, you were make, waiting for us make to credit you there, weren't brilliant you, podcast even better, David. <laughs> Thanks for that. Matt, do you want to go? I put mine in the newsletter. You can have a look in there. But is that what you actually think, or have you, you've done that prediction because you need points? I, I have, but <laughs> I have also thought that... I think it's going the distance one way or another. That's so annoyingly vague. Well, I want them to All open these people the that have newsletter and have a look an hour in of this podcast. <laughs> newsletter, news. Trudge through what has been, frankly, one of our worst of the fortnight. <laughs> they get here and David says, I'm not giving you a prediction. You have to subscribe to the newsletter. <laughs> do you, do you want to really hear? annoying. I, for, I forgot one thing to tell you about. When they brought out the handset phone with the with the numbers on the handset and with like you could pull out an aerial um, in your house. Ah, oh, I thought that was so cool. It's a good job no one's listening, isn't it? <laughs> Matt, what's going to happen tomorrow? Save us. Igor Fiontek, I think, is going to win. I agree. I think Coco Goff will get a set. Hasn't dropped a set all tournament. She's playing really, really well. I think she can hurt Sviontek. I think she can live with her in a lot of the rallies because her movement's so good. But I do think Sviontek's peak level will tell eventually. And I'm I'm predicting a 35th win in a row, equaling Venus Williams' consecutive streak of victories in 2000. There we go. A sensible prediction about what may or may not happen tomorrow. If you want to know what kind of ridiculous Hail Mary David ends up going for <laughs> in order to... Uh, the most extreme, to, I can promise. To uh, resuscitate his predictions hopes, then uh, do subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, we have our tournament sponsor, Cooper, right, our Cooper. mascot. Hello, Cooper. Sorry about today's episode. We've had, we've had, we've you, had ropey material to work with. If, if you like, Cooper, we can ditch this one. You don't have to sponsor this one. <laughs> you don't have to put your name to this one if you don't want to. Let us know before we edit you out if you like. <laughs> we've got our mascots who probably never want their names next to us. Carter, we didn't do well today. Well, actually, Carter, we were wronged today because I went for Rafael Dahl in four and, you know, I... And that, and that wasn't what happened. No. no, but you can't predict injury. I feel like there should be. I don't. I don't, I don't know. A facility for. We have I, a facility for walkovers. Mm. Mm. Anyway. Mm. Anyway, I got points. Mm. 
Casper Rude in four. Oh, move on. 40 points. We'll move on. David, you've got Darwin. All right, Darwin. That didn't go well either. Billie Jean has got Billie Jean King and Alana Claus. Billie Jean King received the Légion d'honneur today, um, which is the highest honour in the land here in France. She received it from Emmanuel Macron. It was absolutely wonderful, uplifting scenes. Good on them for doing it. I, I've no idea why they're doing it now. <laughs> matched her glasses to her medal. She, she matched her glasses to her medal, David. What colour was the medal? Red. Mm. Oh. As in, you know, the little bit of rib- ribbon that mm. the, the medal's attached Amazing. to. It was, it was really uplifting. It was oh. absolutely love, lovely. Um, he embraced her like they were long-lost friends, Macron. It was a very lingering kiss. Um, yeah. Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner are our executive producers and top blokes. And uh, here are the lucky people that have got shout-outs for today's episode. Yes, with apologies to Simon Williams. All right, Simon. Hello, Simon. Like Simon Briggs. Like Simon Briggs. And Simon Williams is from Leicester, and he says that he watches tennis for the pantomime aggro. Oh, oh. Well, we've, we've had some of that in this episode. Well, maybe it isn't such a bad episode no, it's for perfect. Simon. perfect. We love that. Fit. Hello, Simon. Cheers, Simon. We also have Marnell Capagoda. Oh, hello. Which is a Sri Lankan name. Oh, yes, I remember Marnell. Yes, contacting us recently. Yes, signed up very recently. Has has an 11-year-old daughter and uh, was inspired to sign up as a friend of the Tennis Podcast oh. following uh, Catherine's comments about Emily Moresmo and the scheduling this week. So thank you, Marnell. Thank you ever so much, Marnell. Your, uh, your message meant a great deal. And um, yeah, it means a lot. Your support means a lot. Thank you ever so much. And the last one today is Peter Swenson, who is in Ohio, and that is a a Danish name. Oh, right. Mm. Oh, probably not. Probably not the show for him. (laughs) Well, maybe Peter is also into the pantomime aggro. Imagine if you were a Danish tennis fan and you were into pantomime aggro. Well, then that has been a good couple of days. You you know, you've Mm. got the man. And Peter shares a birthday... With Catherine. Oh. oh, how does he know that? Should I be creeped out? He said from the newsletter. Okay. <laughs> Great. You're in the clear, Peter. Thanks ever so much for your support. Uh, yeah. Um, by the way, Caroline Wozniacki used to like a bit of pantomime aggro as well, didn't she? You know, she'd always yeah, be... Yeah, but in a really chippy way. Yeah, Snark, when she lost to Macker over at Wimbledon. That's the one I always think yeah. of. And she said she's not going to win her next match. She didn't play very well and she's not going to go much further in the tournament. <laughs> I, I kind of love that. Uh, Peter, thank you ever so much. That's Hingis energy, isn't it? Um, look, folks, today's going to be better. <laughs> no, tomorrow. Sorry. Oh, God. It is tomorrow. It is tomorrow Don't already. Worry, folks. And I've already ruined it. No, look, it's going to be better. Thanks for sticking with us. Today, it was a weird one. But we do these podcasts regardless, and we've got two more to go. So make sure you join us for tomorrow's wrap-up of the women's final, Igish Fiontek against Coco Goff. Make sure you subscribe to the newsletter to find out what weird and wonderful prediction David is going for. for. Tell your friends, leave us an iTunes review, and become a friend of the pod if you've enjoyed, not specifically this episode. <laughs> or, uh, or maybe you're a different... Other... If you've enjoyed this one, chances are you're willing to really others. Exactly. Good, good, exactly. Good sales. So, we'll see you tomorrow.
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.